at our church here at City, we are processing through a sermon series that's based upon a letter to the Ephesians. And this letter was written by a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. And Apostle Paul was someone who began to enter Scripture when he kind of comes out of stage left. He steps into Scripture. And what this guy is doing is he is persecuting, arresting, and killing followers of Jesus. But it's not long before he becomes one. He meets Jesus, and Jesus radically alters his life. And the Apostle Paul spends the rest of his earthly life encouraging people to follow Jesus, and he becomes what we would call a missionary, where he travels to different parts of the ancient world, and he plants churches. And then when Paul's done planting churches, he kind of goes on to plant more, and, and then at different times, he writes caches of letters to those churches to encourage them, and to instruct them, and to teach them. Well, there comes a point in Paul's journey where he ends up in prison. And while he's in prison, he writes letters that are called the prison epistles. And the book of Ephesians is one of those. Where Paul is writing a letter to this church that he had pioneered in the city of Ephesus. And really what he is trying to teach them about is a new identity. That there's an identity that can be had in Christ. In Christ. Now, before we get there, we have some special guests in the auditorium with us, some really special guests. And the reason why they're here is because part of the facility here at Charlottesville High School has been unavailable to us for a couple of weeks. It'll be available to us next week. But because it's not available to us today, we've got some first through fifth graders that are here in the auditorium with us. Stand. Where are you guys? I want you to stand up and let's cheer for them that they're in here with us. So for you that just stood, we've got something special for you a little bit further into my sermon. So I want you to be ready. All right? First through fifth graders only. No 40-year-olds first through fifth graders. But now, City Church is based upon these three principles. These are the three principles on which I live my life. They're this. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church. In other words, what that means is, is that like as we go through this sermon series on the letter to the Ephesians written by the Apostle Paul as he writes this letter to these people living in Ephesus who have no clue what it looks like to follow Jesus. He writes them about this identity that can be theirs in Christ that is radically countercultural. But as he writes these letters and we get the blessing of still reading them to this day, we read them, and that's what it means to be biblically based. When we read Scripture, we take it seriously. We believe that God speaks to us through Scripture. Not only are we a biblically based people, we're a relationally driven people. Next week, I'm going to talk about marriage and singleness biblically. We're going to talk about some of the tough stuff in marriage. But we're not going to do it this morning because there's little ears in the room. Do you understand? 
Now, with that, we talk about being biblically based. Fascinating, in the book of Ephesians, the letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul writes about marriage, raising kids, what it's like to work on a job that's miserable and how we handle that. But what we also know is the scriptures teach us that we are to live relationally driven lives. Our relationship with God and our relationships with people are the primary thing of life. And then the beautiful thing is, not only did Jesus teach on these things, and then the Apostle Paul expands on them, but Jesus, when he's getting ready to exit after the resurrection and before, looked at his disciples and said, when I go to Jerusalem and die and when I exit, what you need to know is I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will help you to live everything that I've taught you. So isn't that incredible? It's simple. A church, any church that follows Jesus one way or another has these three things, biblically based, relationally driven, and spirit-led. But how many of us know the relational piece can be difficult? Look at the person to your left and to your right. It can be difficult. But God has sent the Holy Spirit to help us to live out what we learned from Scripture to live relationally in a unique way because of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. That's what that looks like. And so this morning, what I want to do is bring another message on the idea of identity as found in the letter to the church of Ephesus. The idea is this from the Apostle Paul to these people, is that they have a new identity and that they belong, and so do you. That in Christ, you belong to something that is greater than you could have ever imagined. But in living into that, in depressing into that, what we have to understand is that if we belong, Paul says, there are certain things that follow that. And one of those is a new identity in Christ. Now, the first time in the first sermon on the letter to Ephesians, I talked about what identity is. I want to read it again just to refresh our memories, because it's been a while, or maybe you weren't here several weeks ago. Here's what identity is. Identity is often described as finite and consisting of separate and distinct parts, like family, culture personal stuff, professional stuff, etc., including our genetics, our biology, the culture in which we're raised, loved ones, those that we have cared for, those that have cared for us, people that we have harmed, people that have harmed us, and all of the deeds that we've done, whether good or evil, good or bad, whatever the case may be, all of this kind of comes together and begins to speak to us and begins to form in us an identity. Ultimately, identity is this. It's how we think about and see the world and ourselves in the world. You see, identity is huge. Where we're at now in the book of Ephesians will capture chapters 4, 5, and 6 over the next two weeks. No, we're not going to read all of it. But we're going to look at it through the lens of identity and see what Paul is trying to teach those people who had no examples of what it was like to follow Jesus. He's laying out for them this new identity and what it looks like. 
to be a Christ follower. And so with that, in chapter 5, verse 1, here's what he writes. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Now that would sound condescending unless you know Paul. What Paul is saying is, is when you make the choice to follow Jesus, when you do that, you become what he calls a child of God. And through Christ, we get to experience the amazing love of Jesus, which is most clearly displayed at Easter. But what he says is, look, he said, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. In other words, our identity is being formed by a God who loves us, by God who loves us. In 30-plus years of full-time ministry, I have met innumerable people who never really experienced love growing up. They're in a home where love really wasn't there. That's nothing new. Paul says that for you and for me, as we follow Jesus, the step of this, where we launch from in that walk, is to know that we're dearly loved. When you know you're loved, your identity is transformed. It does something deeply, deeply to us. So now what we're going to do is we're going to begin reading in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul begins to bring to us his vision of his own identity and then the identity of those in the church of Ephesus. So Ephesians 4, 1, and we're going to read a few verses, say this. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Can I be honest with you? When I read these verses this week and I was meditating them on again last night as I was driving in my car, no, I was not looking at my computer while I was driving my car, but I was focusing again on these verses, I felt personally convicted. I felt I did, so convicted. But as I thought through these verses, as Paul kind of shifts gears in the letter to the church of Ephesus, he announces himself the following way. Paul, as a what? Wow. That's shocking. You see, prison is there to crush your identity. Chris, or prison is there to make you invisible. Prison is there to punish you. Prison is there to make you feel horrible about yourself. Especially in the ancient prisons. When I've traveled in Italy, I went to Rome and looked at some of the biblical sites and I've been throughout Israel. And when you see the ancient prisons, especially the ones where Jesus was tried and they believed that he was kept in, when you see them, you recognize something. And that is, they don't care about who's in there. It's there to punish you and to crush you. And yet the Apostle Paul announces this. He declares himself to be a prisoner of the Lord. 
That's amazing. It's stunning. Now here's what I want to say that is so mission critical and I feel compelled to do this this morning. I actually got up and felt deeply impressed to talk about this openly this morning about our identity in Christ and what's biblical and what is not. You see, Paul declares himself as a prisoner in the Lord. In other words, his identity in Christ works everywhere. It's not limited to a Sunday morning. It's something that wherever Paul goes, he becomes in Christ no matter where he is. He's in prison, and he declares that he's a prisoner for the Lord. But here's what I want us to process, and I want, to think, I want us to think about. Paul announced this, that as an individual, he has learned something. And that is, is he says in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, he says, I have learned to be content in plenty and in want. Now, please catch this. We're going to read all those verses in just a couple moments. But I want you to understand to the depths of your heart that Paul says, in Christ, we can be content everywhere. But you see, he had learned something moving towards being a prisoner in Christ. And I want us all to get this because it is so key. And it comes along with the warning that I made just a few moments ago. It's this. There is a modern version of Christianity that teaches and preaches that the depth of your faith is proven by your material wealth and how much God gives you monetarily. I want you to know that is unbiblical. I sat and watched what was broadcast over the airwaves over the past couple of weeks under the guise of the Christian umbrella, and I'm going to tell you that's categorically false. Does God bless people financially? Absolutely he does. But if you think that the bellwether of a healthy faith is that you're going to become a millionaire or God somehow is going to respond and give you a life of perfect ease. If you believe that stuff or that view of Christianity, I can promise you when you become the type of person where your identity moves towards that, if you're ever in prison because of Jesus, you will be totally lost totally lost. You see, I want us to catch this. Paul warns constantly about this type of teaching. As a matter of fact, he writes to Timothy, and Timothy is the pastor of the church of Ephesus. And here's what Paul writes to him. He's writing about Bible teachers, and here's what he writes to Timothy, who's the pastor of the church of Ephesus. So technically, there are three letters written to the church of Ephesus. There's the book of Ephesians and First and Second Timothy. I want you to catch this. He says there are Bible teachers who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness means, what does he write next? Financial gain. Paul's warning Timothy about those type of teachers. And going on, he says this, but godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. In other words, 
When my identity is truly in Jesus, when my identity is truly in Christ, I can be in prison and I can look at it and say, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. My faith is so mature, so robust, and so deep that when I face the unthinkable, my faith doesn't shrink away, my identity doesn't crumble, but I stand in Christ. It's important that you catch this because here's what I know. Here's what I know. When Paul says he's a prisoner for Christ, it's a huge thing. And when you and I face certain things in our life that you would never sign up for, just remember that in the midst of that, you can have an identity in Christ that is robust and mature and deep. And it is counter to the thin, brittle, almost, how can I put this? Unusable faith that says mature faith will lead to some type of huge wealth in your life. I don't want you to get caught up in that because it's not biblical at all. So again, hear me. You and I have an identity in Christ that when something comes our way that we would not sign up for, we stand. We are in it and Christ is in us. And because of that, we can persevere. And we can face the unthinkable with hope, with peace, and with strength. It's very quiet in here. Have you ever been in the middle of a conversation that got brutally uncomfortable? And then some kids walked into the room. And you went, oh, what a great diversion. Have you ever had that happen? All right, kids, first through fifth graders, I want you to stand real quick. And the ushers are in the aisles, and they've got a little bag for you. And it's something that you can have fun with while we continue the conversation we just started with your parent. How does that sound? So kids, if you real quickly can move to where the people are in the center aisles, they've got a little gift for you that you can hold and that you can use while we're finishing up the service. So for the rest of us that are watching, let's cheer for the kids one more time. So now, we had that sweet little diversion. Now we're gonna jump right back in. So you see, the Apostle Paul begins, and he begins to announce this, that he's a prisoner for the Lord. And as he announces that he is a prisoner for the Lord, he talks to Timothy in a personal letter to Timothy, watch out for those that teach this gospel that really isn't even the gospel. And here Paul is, writing for prison, and he says, I am a prisoner for the Lord. But I want you to catch what else he writes to those people who are learning their new identity in Christ. And I think what Paul wrote to the letter to the church of Ephesus is as applicable this morning as it was 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote it. And it's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. And I want you to read on the big screen what I'm going to be 
kind of reading from here, but I want you to picture what Paul's writing to them. They have met Jesus. They're learning about this new identity. They've had no one to really show them what it looks like other than Paul and one of his missionary partners. And now Timothy is their pastor, and they're figuring out for the first time ever what does an identity in Christ look like? And Paul writes to them in Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, and here's what he says. And he sounds so much like a parent when he does it. He says, so I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. What are Gentiles? Well, Gentiles are those people that don't walk with God. Oftentimes in the Newer Testament, that word Gentile will be translated pagan. Someone who does not have a belief, a hope, and a trust, and a faith in the God of the Scriptures. And he says this, you must no longer live as the Gentile do's, do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Do you ever get uneasy when someone's really honest with you? Do you get the sense that Paul's being brutally honest? He's talking about what it's like to live outside of God and where some people can get to. He talks about the thinking and how it becomes futile and that understanding becomes darkened and there's a separation from God and the hardening of the heart. And then verse 19, Paul writes this. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. I want to talk about this just for a few moments. And I'm going to do it in a way where little ears can hear. But I want you to know as big people, I think you can already read between the lines about what Paul is saying. But as we process through this, I want you to picture what Paul says. He says, there's a certain way of living life where you end up losing sensitivity. And when that happens, you begin to be given over to sensuality to so, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, the continual lust for more. Please hear me. The Apostle Paul has announced that he has learned to be content in all types of spheres, in all types of ways. That contentment is something that Paul has learned to live into and to lean into. In the book of Philippians, Paul says the following. He says this, that in much and in want, in hunger and in having his stomach full, he's learned how to be content in Christ. And the amazing thing is, and we're going to learn next week more about marriage and sensuality and what the Bible talks about in the midst of marriage. But the Apostle Paul begins to speak here about sensitivity and sensuality, and I want to talk about that just for a couple of moments. And it's this. Sensitivity is when I am able to get the sense of what's happening around me. Sensitivity means that I'm open to the Holy Spirit working in my heart and life. 
Sensitivity is such a way where I'm kind of looking out from myself and I'm looking at those around me. Sensitivity says that when someone else's heart is hurting that somehow, some way I can move towards that and I can feel their pain. The Bible speaks clearly about this, that we rejoice with those who rejoice and we grieve with those who grieve. But I can tell you that we are living in a culture that is slowly but surely losing its sensitivity. We become numb. And what Paul says is this, is there's a way to live life where you've lost your sensitivity, and what you end up doing is you exchange sensitivity for sensuality. Sensuality is all about you. It's when the people around there are for you, around you are for your pleasure. Sensuality says I'm intimately in tune with my own needs and what I want, but it's all about me. And the problem is with sensuality is this, is that the limits of what is moral and what is good begins to get pushed to the fringes. And Paul writes it this way, is that when sensuality hits a heart or hits a life, it's almost as though you begin to indulge in all types of things. And when you do, impurity hits the life. But this last phrase is the most stunning. There's a continual lust for more. You see, when there's sensitivity in the heart and in the life, even in the areas of intimacy, when there's sensitivity in the heart and in the life, what can end up happening in the midst of that is there is contentment that God blesses relationally in those areas in marriage where those areas that can run amok so easily end up becoming contented because it's involved with sensitivity. But when sensuality hits, the moral boundaries get pushed away. And here's what scripture says, and Paul begins to talk about, that there's an indulgence in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. And the definition of lust is this, is that there's a driver in our heart and in our life that can never be satisfied. And look, as the pastor of City Church, I'm deeply concerned about how we move through life as individuals. Are we sensitive? You got to be honest with yourself. Or is it really sensuality that drives us? Are we a people who are sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Or is sensuality the thing that makes me the center of who I am? And the problem is with that is that when lust hits, there's no satisfaction, none. Things become more extreme and more pushed to the edges. Now, as we consider this, my prayer for my life and for your life is sensitivity. Because the Bible clearly says that there's a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. There's a sensitivity to the things of God There's a sensitivity to God's voice in our hearts and in our life. And God's passion for you and God's identity for you is that you and I would live in the midst of sensitivity. And when we are, there's this sense of, this idea of, there's contentment. But sensuality cannot bring us to contentment. 
it leaves us with a continual lust for more. And so as always in our services, we talk about putting feet to our faith. So important. That when we hear a message and it's biblically based, the idea of it being relationally driven and spirit-led, then we begin to look at what we're learning in Scripture and Paul as he's developing a pathway for a new identity for these first century Christians. He begins to talk to them about things that are so new to them. Things like sensitivity and sensuality. So I think, is God stirring in our hearts? I have to be honest with myself. When my identity is in Christ, I am sensitive to others. It's not all about me. I'm looking towards others. I'm aware of how they feel and what their needs are. That's what sensitivity is. Sensuality is the complete opposite of that. So please ask yourself this question as we think of our identity in Christ. Am I a person that's walking in sensitivity or have I been walking in sensuality? How have I been walking? Well, here's one way that you'll know is contentment, contentment. Am I living a life of contentment? Or do I always feel like there's a low hum of want and lack in something different? Paul talks about contentment so frequently to the people he writes letters to. In the letter to Philippians, he says that with much and with little, he's found contentment. And again, my concern for our church family is this, is that if we're buying into a biblical paradigm of faith that says that my deepest part of faith means God's going to reward me with all this temporal materialism and wealth, believe me, you will live a very discontented Christian life. But if instead... We follow Jesus. We say, Lord, the depth of my faith, the maturity of my faith won't be proven by wealth or riches. It's going to be proven by contentment. That if I'm in prison, I'm going to be there for you. If I'm at the top of the heap or in the lowest valley, if I'm on a winning streak or I'm on a losing streak, the idea will be there's going to be a contentment in Christ because my identity is in him and he shall not be moved. It's so important. I also want to say this. We live in an incredibly sensual world incredibly sensual. And my concern is, is that we wouldn't become some puritanical movement, but we would become a group of people who can walk through a sensual world, but do it with sensitivity instead of sensuality. And then when we sense that our thinking might be getting a little bit darkened, we turn back to God and say, I am choosing my identity to be in you. The idea then is this, where's my contentment? Am I truly contented in Christ? If not, 
How's my sensitivity? Am I sensitive to him? And believe me, there is a form of spirituality that I've observed that is actually sensual, not sensitive. It's about God being there to meet every one of my needs when I want it, how I want it, and if he doesn't do that, then something's wrong with him. Conversely, we are called to follow Jesus and to serve others. We are called to be a sensitive group of people who again move through a sensual world who we do in a way to where our identity is in Christ.